Hello, Hubsters. Welcome back to the Performance Hub podcast. I hope everyone had a safe and happy new year. In the latest episode of the podcast, we are joined by physiotherapist Rachel, who specialises in pelvic floor physio. She brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise to the area and provides valuable real-world applicable information around all things exercise and pregnancy and how to get the best postnatal outcomes with regards to return exercise and improving daily function. This is definitely not one to miss, so enjoy the episode. We are live from Melbourne, Australia. From Melbourne, Australia. Bringing you the Performance Hub podcast. Strap yourself in as we explore the world of human performance. No BS, no hidden agenda, just real world applicable information to help you optimize your human performance. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Coach Max and Carl. Well, we'd like to welcome you, Rachel, to the Performance Hub podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, we appreciate as well that we just said uh, off air there that uh, you finished work officially yesterday and your first morning off, you've decided to join us on the podcast. So it's an honour. <laughs> Thank off. you for having me. It's an honour to be here. <laughs> no, our pleasure. I think we're really excited because we wanted to tee this up for a while in terms of what the discussion points are and we're going to expand on those. We definitely think it's an area that there is that hesitation around you know, pregnancy and exercise and particularly obviously with the females not sure and and there's always going to be that hesitation so i think it'd be great getting someone of your i guess expertise to sort of share your knowledge and obviously you're working with them day to day so Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be really exciting we'll run through maybe just give us a little bit of a bio on i guess your education and what you got you interested in working with females um through that pregnancy process yeah absolutely so i always wanted to do physio growing up um i think like most people that want to do physios everyone wants to go into the sport physio side of things it seems like very glamorous from the outside so i kind of yeah did my sports science degree with carl at acu here in melbourne and then i went on to do physio up on the gold coast and we were exposed to lots of different areas of physio when we went through that degree and we had a lot of placement hours which allowed us to kind of dive into fields we didn't know a lot about so I actually had no idea that pelvic health physios even existed, even though we had done a three-year sports science degree. So I think that it's um, pretty amazing that we didn't cover the pelvic floor or pelvic health at all throughout that degree when we were talking so much um, about exercise and how to train males and females through a lot of different sports. So um, when I started uni, I had a friend that was really interested in pelvic floor and women's health. So she had done medical receptionist um, work with the pelvic health clinic here in Melbourne. So she was all about pelvic health and just um, started educating me and some of the other girls about this area. So that kind of is what originally sparked the interest in it. just because it's not spoken about at all. And then um, we went through uni and we were lucky enough to do a placement in women's health. So we were exposed to the maternity ward in the hospital, um, as well as an outpatient clinic that had um, people all over the lifespan coming back into the hospital for treatment of a range of different conditions. Um, So I still pursued my sports career after I finished physio, worked in a sports private practice. And from there, very quickly, I don't know, I just wasn't passionate about it, I think. I just felt like every rolled ankle was kind of the same you might change your rehab slightly but um and the goals change a little bit depending on the patient but I just I don't know my passion was just not there for it which I was kind of surprised about because that's all I wanted to do was sports physios and I really wanted to work like an AFL team and I had kind of built my whole career like prior to starting work based on getting the experience to be able to do that So yeah, when I just lost that passion, I decided to go and do an introductory course into women's health, which was like a five day course. And we covered everything from like the basics right up to learning how to do vaginal examination. So we kind of went from like not knowing much at all to being able to go into clinic and start doing a little bit of practice. So I did that course, came back, started seeing a um, pregnancy kind of caseload so the yep. pregnant ladies are almost if you want to get into pelvic health that's a great caseload to start with because it's lots of musculoskeletal work but it's also pelvic health um, tied into that yeah um, so yeah from there in Melbourne the ex, um, like the expectation really to be working in women's health is to go and do a postgraduate certificate because Melbourne University offers it so 
to really kind of dive into the area you need to go and do that down here. So I went back to uni last year to get that all signed off. And then I have been working full time in women's health for the last two and a bit years. So I've been out of uni for three and a half years. So for the last probably two and a half years, I've worked full time in women's health. So um, very early in my career, but straight into the women's health area. And I've just like loved it. I think being able to empower women with education about things they have no idea about is very rewarding. Um, And my favorite part of treating this um, caseload is the pregnancy and postnatal ladies being able to do a lot of prevention work and screen pelvic health so that they can continue exercise they can get back into it after they have their baby all in a very safe way to hopefully in 20 30 years time reduce their risk of having issues after they go through menopause so that's kind of yeah how i felt that's, to where that's I am fantastic now. that's great story that was a great summary bio that was great oh good <laughs> yeah no that's fine did you find that as you were going and as your i guess passion and interest developed for that area that it was sort of a, a missing piece and that it was a bit niche in itself that's like you said, a lot of it with the education was lacking. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that with physio in general, it's so broad that you can't specialize in like the shoulder, the knee, the ankle, you can't be good at everything. And when you work in private practice as a physio, you do have to try and be good in everything. And it's really hard you don't know what the person's going to walk through the door with and um i didn't like that aspect of it and in saying that women's health is also very broad as well like there's um even though you're specializing in the pelvis there's lots that can go on in that area so it is broad as well but you can start to dive into niches within it like pregnancy and postnatal and i think because of like myself growing up with um you know high intensity exercise being a big part of my life and the fact that i had never heard of things like stress incontinence in young females and you know bladder leakage throughout pregnancy and that that those things aren't normal and that the conception out there is like oh i've had a baby like it's normal to leak when i go to the gym and do this and to hear people say that and just accept it and live their life with it. I don't know. I feel like it's heartbreaking that people just take that on and um, deal with it and don't talk about it. Yeah. So that's been the most rewarding part is to be able to educate people about those things and actually be like, Hey, you can do something about this and we can, you know, hopefully resolve your problem. And if physio is not the right answer for you, we can, you know, refer you to other specialists that can help cure your symptoms. So um, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic. Well, I guess we can, actually, before we d- dive right into it, we like to do a little, se- I didn't tell, I haven't told you about this. We do a little segment where it's just rapid fire questions. Cool. So now you've yeah. given, you know, the bio, now we want to dig a little bit deeper and find out what really makes you tick. So what we'll do here, Rachel, is yep. 60 seconds of some rapid okay. fire questions. Cool. First thing that pops in your head, just go for it. All right. Yeah. So we'll start the clock. So cats or dogs? Oh, cats. Cats. Perfect. Favorite takeaway food? Uh, Thai. Tight. We'll stop the clock. Yeah. Is there a that we're loving this? We're all about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm on like a show where you this like got to quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a go-to Thai dish? Uh, pad Thai. Pad Thai. Perfect. What are you having yep. for Pad Thai? Chicken. Chicken. Always. Chicken. No onion or garlic. <laughs> we had a guest. Oh, Aaron. Did prawn. Aaron said we had a guest on. I think he was our first guest, and he's never going to be back yeah. on the show because he said prawn. Uh, pad thai. Oh no! Who chooses that? That is controversial. Okay, hop back on. Our favorite exercise? Running. Running? Perfect. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, this is a good one. So, if we consider running, so if there's apocalypse, right, and you can only play one song while you're running away from these zombies, what is that song going to be? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I don't know. I'm one of those people that don't have like a favorite movie or favorite song. I'm going to say like something like, I don't know, something that you hear at the club that just like pumps you up. (laughs) Get the heart rate going. Fantastic. Perfect. Uh, Movies or TV shows? TV shows. TV shows. Fantastic. Uh, This is our our go-to question. So toilet paper. Are you a folder, scruncher or combination of both? Oh, I reckon both. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Fantastic. Uh, Last question. If you could teleport back in time and tell a young you one piece of advice, what would that be? It would probably be to be more open and confident about 
things like periods and intercourse and things like that growing up. I think yeah. that being in the area that I'm working in and then looking back at my younger self, I feel like we're always so embarrassed to talk about these things. So that would be the one thing that I wish I could change. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. love that. That's great. Well, thank you for playing rapid fire questions. That's okay. That was good. <laughs> you survived. Good work. Yeah. Go for it. So we're going to our next question. Let's get into it. I think actually one of the things um, from hearing you speak before, Rachel, you mentioned that, there's a lot of things that don't get covered. Yes. And we can relate to this. Like I said, we both did sports science degrees. I did ex-phys and like technically clinical exercise rehabilitation. And guess what? I don't think pelvic floor was covered at all. Um, yeah. It would have been like one lecture maybe. So yeah. I was just thinking. Same as exercise and pregnancy. Oh, yeah. That was just one quick lecture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tick that module off. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. But it's like such a big part of someone's life, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Absolutely. Um, but I thought the big thing was if we don't, if we didn't cover it, so anything that I know about that has had to be like my own curiosity yeah. and, and looking into things. Yeah. So I guess for the listeners, could you give us your definition of like, what is the pelvic floor? Mm-hmm. So the pelvic floor, it's really hard without seeing it, but I'll do my best and you let me know if it doesn't make sense. So the pelvic floor are literally a group of muscles that make up the floor of the pelvis. So your pelvis is hollow kind of cylinder and your pelvic floor muscles literally make up the floor. But the pelvic floor also consists of like blood vessels, nerves. It consists of connective tissue as well. So when we consider the pelvic floor, we need to make sure we also consider the other things that are in that area, like the tissues, the nerves and the blood vessels. So in terms of the muscles though there's nine muscles that make up the pelvic floor so a lot more than we actually think there is there and most of them are skeletal muscles same as your bicep your hamstring so like our other muscles they can become very tight and cause pain they can have weakness to them and they can have injury to them as well injuries are mainly due to childbirth trauma though um, in terms of the pelvic floor but in terms of those muscles there's circular muscles that surround the urethra of the vagina and the back passage so when you need to go to the toilet they're helping um, to contract to help you hold on they relax to allow you to empty the bladder and the bowel and then we've got a deeper layer which run from the pubic bone to the tailbone so like often a sling or hammock is the best way to describe them between the legs and they lift up to support the organs and there's a group of muscles around the urethra and the vagina that are also really important for sexual function and orgasm. And then just the general tone of your pelvic floor is important to inhibit bladder activity so you don't have a constant urgency to go to the toilet. Um, so that's probably the easiest way to describe it. No, that's great. That was perfect. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> Hopefully um, the listeners can imagine it no, when they're at home. <laughs> absolutely. But I think it's really important that we say that from the back because I was just thinking we could get the whole way through this podcast. Yes. And then someone at the end could be like, what is the pelvic floor? Because yeah. you're right, like it's Absolutely. become almost a buzzword without, you know, people fully understanding what it is, um, which is great. So I guess that kind of leads us into the first topic, which mm-hmm. is going to be, what are some of the benefits of exercise during pregnancy? Obviously, yeah. you just said that they are uh, a large part portion of the pelvic floor is skeletal mm-hmm. muscle. And we know skeletal muscle is certainly trainable. Um, so I guess if you could give us your thoughts on like, what are the key benefits of exercise in that pregnancy period? Yeah, absolutely. So exercise in pregnancy, no different to any other stage of the life has many, many benefits for our general health. Um, so I think that it's important that we consider just exercise in general is really important for general health. Um, so that's the same throughout pregnancy. Pregnancy specific though, exercise has been shown to have better birth outcomes. So if we're talking about birth and labor, if you exercise regularly throughout your pregnancy, you can actually reduce your risk of having instrumental delivery by about 24%, which is massive because instrumental delivery is a risk factor for pelvic floor issues like prolapse and bladder leakage um, postnatally. So that's um, really motivating for the women to do exercise throughout their pregnancy. Um, In terms of that as well, you can reduce your risk of having a large baby um, at the end of pregnancy as well. So when we talk about large babies that increase your risk of pelvic floor dysfunction, anything over four kilos is generally considered um, large. So there's a bit of research that shows you can actually decrease your risk of having a larger baby as well. 
Um, in terms of pregnancy specific conditions, like things like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, there's a lot of good research that shows that you can actually um, reduce and prevent your risk of developing those conditions. And then if you do develop them, exercise is a great way to actually manage those conditions later in pregnancy as well in that third trimester. Um, in terms of gestational diabetes, you can reduce your risk by about 38%, which is almost half, like you're almost halving your risk of yeah. Yeah, getting gestational diabetes. And gestational diabetes has a um, large correlation to being induced at about 39 weeks. And when you have induction, you're more likely to have an epidural, you're more likely to have instrumental delivery, you're also more likely to have a larger baby as well with gestational diabetes. So it kind of just has this flow on oh, effect. Yeah. If you can be active in the early phase of your pregnancy and continue the whole way through, you start to significantly reduce risk factors um, of things that can impact your birth outcomes. And then um, the other big one is probably like pelvic girdle pain, lower back pain, any kind of pain around your lower back pelvis. Exercise is a fantastic way to prevent that occurring. But if you do get it, it's a great way to treat it. So it takes about six weeks for exercise to actually treat and manage pelvic pain. So we do want women to be active quite regularly throughout their pregnancy yeah. so they're able to manage it. And we want to be able to identify if they have it very early on so they can self-treat at, at home or at their gyms, wherever they're doing their exercise. Ooh, Fantastic. Hey, do you find with the postpartum as well, like that helps with the, um, I guess, recovery rate as well with people who have you know, done the exercise during the pregnancy? Yeah, I think if they're exercising, I don't know the exact research in terms of exercise and then postnatal recovery because it depends on so many things that happen in birth probably. Um, but in terms of if you're able to be active throughout your pregnancy, you potentially improve your birth outcomes by quite a fair bit. You're yeah. always going to have a better recovery afterwards as well. And your body, you probably maintain your strength throughout pregnancy to prevent a lot of those um, weaknesses that can occur from postural dysfunction and things like that as well. So you would tend to bounce back a little bit quicker especially if you have a vaginal delivery and then those that have a c-section if they you know know how to recruit their muscles they have people exercise i find have better body awareness as well in general yes. so i think yes. they always find it easier to readapt back into their normal non-pregnant kind of body afterwards yes. to then um, start to rehabilitate their bodies from all those postural changes that occur throughout the pregnancy. So yeah, I don't know what the exact research on that would be because it would depend on the pelvic floor side of things, but definitely from a pelvic floor perspective, having an individual assessment throughout your pregnancy, um, which would mean a vaginal examination to see what you're doing with your pelvic floor. And if you have any pelvic floor dysfunction, and then an exercise program for the pelvic floor to maximize your function. We reduce your risk of developing things like bladder leakage by quite a fair bit in the postnatal period, which is um, very good. And I think if people know how to use their pelvic floor well during pregnancy, they're going to be able to rehab their pelvic floor much easier in that initial postpartum period where they haven't maybe yet seen a physio. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's really good. And I think we sort of touched on it before. Obviously, there's that natural hesitation with the exercise during mm -hmm. pregnancy. So with that, what are probably the key considerations if you were telling a client um, during, I guess, the exercise um, throughout that pregnancy period? Is there certain things at certain, I guess, um, time points that we want them to avoid or, or do mm -hmm. and not do? Absolutely. So I think that when we look at the recommendations of exercising in pregnancy and uncomplicated pregnant women should be exercising throughout their entire pregnancy. So as a health professional trainer, when we're taking these ladies through pregnant um, friendly programs, I suppose, yeah. we want to just consider what they've done in the past and then the exercise, the mode, um, the mode of exercise that we're choosing, um, a whole lot of things in terms of what we would consider with any other client really that we're exercising. So those are the things that we want to consider with pregnant women. And we want all pregnant women to be doing some kind of exercise because if they can help birth outcomes, then everyone should be doing it. Even yeah, if there's definitely. a complicated pregnancy, you can work with the obstetrician um, and any other specialist that could be involved in that team managing a complicated pregnancy to ensure that we're choosing exercises that are suitable. But almost everyone can do some kind of exercise. Um, in terms of things that we need to consider, in the first trimester, there is a little bit of research about exercising in the heat. 
So when that embryo is developing, um, we don't want to stress our body with heat stress. Um, So there's the recommendations that the RANSCOG Association released earlier this year showed that if you're exercising for about half an hour in 25 degree heat and in a relative humidity of about 45%, you can exercise at a high intensity and it's unlikely that you're gonna raise your body temperature by more than 1.5 degrees rapidly or above 39 degrees. So I think in Australia, when we're going into summer, that if you live in places like Queensland where there is a lot of humidity in the first trimester when that embryo is developing, there are probably things you do need to consider. If it's gonna be a really hot, humid day and you wanna go for a run, you probably should be doing it um, whenever the coolest part of the day is. So probably before the sun comes up Um, and then in saying that um, there's a lot of talk about exercise in a hydrotherapy pool is not safe but there's actually like no research that shows that being in a hydro pool of about I think they're usually like 33.4 degrees or something if you're Mm -hmm. in there for 45 minutes it's very unlikely that your core body temperature is going to raise enough to um, impact the embryo formation um, in that first trimester so the first trimester the only real major thing is avoiding heat stress to your body um, because that can then result in the congenital defects Um, and then result in potential miscarriage. But in a place like Melbourne, we don't need to be as worried about things like that. So if you want to go for a run or work at high intensity, like do it in the morning on a hot day and you're probably going to be fine. Um, In terms of other recommendations in pregnancy, so laying on your back is um, not recommended after the first trimester. So at 12 to 13 weeks in the pregnancy, shouldn't be laying on your back for exercise. That's only come out at the start of this year. So that was something that's changed because it used to be like 16 to 20 weeks then you shouldn't lay on your back um, but the recommendation has changed this year that you shouldn't lay on your back from after that first trimester in terms of the research around that it's a bit conflicting because mm-hmm. laying on your back we know if you're there for five minutes reduces the blood flow to the uterine cavity and the fetus which is not good especially if you have a smaller baby so if they're tracking bubs on um, growth throughout your pregnancy if you have a smaller baby it's more of a concern Um, but in saying that there's certain exercises laying on your back that will spark your heart rate to then compensate for that decreased blood flow. So then it's completely safe. So I think that when we're talking about exercise lying on your back, as long as there's been clinical reasoning around the particular exercise you're doing, it is safe. Um, But you'd want to make sure that you're checking with your trainers and it's guided by a trainer or a physio or someone that knows something about pregnancy rather than just watching YouTube video at home. I think if you're laying on your back watching a YouTube video, you don't know what qualifications the person that's instructing it has may not be safe for you. Um, in saying that I usually tell my patients any exercises laying on your back you need to stop them by 20 weeks anyway so why not just do the whole pregnancy find other exercises to have the same kind of benefit use the same muscles that you would be using in a supine or lying on your back position and just modify right from the get-go so that's the biggest one about supine or lying on your back exercise and then the other one is pelvic girdle pain and just what they say is like pelvic instability I suppose Um, Um, So that is just a case by case um, kind of individual assessment really on how far you can push someone when they're standing on one leg. So um, there'll be people out there that say you shouldn't be doing any single leg exercises in a standing position right throughout the pregnancy because you could increase your risk of having um, pelvic girdle pain or lower back pain throughout the pregnancy. Um, but as long as your technique is right, I think it's fine. Mm. If someone starts developing pain, we just need to make sure that the exercises aren't the thing that's flaring it up. I find yes. that with a lot of patients, we can be doing single leg exercises. They're absolutely fine when we're doing them, but it's that night or two days later that the pain then starts to develop. So if that's been a pattern that's happened over, you know, a couple of weeks in a row, then we do look at what they're doing um, exercise wise and just modify nothing standing on one leg but that's a very individual kind of assessment um thing because balance is super important in pregnancy and it's they lose it in pregnancy so we do need to train single leg um exercises if we can so i think that um yeah that's a that's a just a really kind of probably clinical reason type um thing to change yeah perfect that's really good advice do you find as well um like joint laxity is a big thing as well with the the pelvis and everything in terms of the hip yeah, absolutely. So um, 
I actually learned this like a couple of months ago in a research update. I think we all yeah. talk about relaxing being the thing that causes like all the joint instability, but yes. um, relaxing peaks in the first trimester and then declines as the pregnancy goes on. But estrogen levels just increase as the pregnancy goes on. So estrogen is actually the hormone that causes all the joint laxity. Um, so it definitely is the cause for the pelvic girdle pain a lot of the time and how people are then compensating for the joint laxity. So everyone's going to have some degree of joint laxity um, some people will have it more than others depending on their collagen fibers and like if they have hypermobility conditions things like that um, which is genetic based prior to the pregnancy anyway um, but definitely depending on how someone compensates for the joint laxity will impact whether they can do single leg exercises and their, their technique's probably going to be rubbish if they have a lot of joint laxity and are compensating yeah. poorly anyway so if you're doing supervised exercise um, you'd pick it up straight away yeah, um, but that's why they say things like high impact exercise, jumping, running in terms of ankle sprains is a bit of a concern because you have more movement throughout your whole body in terms of joint mm -hmm. laxity. So that's, um, that's where that side of things comes from. Yeah. yeah and then the other thing I didn't talk about actually was the high intensity exercise, like running in pregnancy. Yes. We actually have like no research about this. So it's very much like a, probably like a biased clinical reasoning type of um, model that people adapt with that. So I tend to be a lot more conservative with my patients and say no running, um, jumping, things like that after about 20 weeks. So halfway throughout the pregnancy um, and that's purely because we don't have the research to see what it's doing to the connective tissues in the pelvic region and to the pelvic floor we can rehab muscles which is fine but um, we don't really know if we're stretching um, tissues and fascia that help hold all those organs up in pregnancy we can't rehab that afterwards so we just like don't know but that's also probably you can tell tell people that and then you know patients or pregnant women can make up their own mind about how far they want to push themselves with those kind of exercises throughout yeah, the pregnancy. Yeah, that's probably similar to our approach. And we spoke about this before we yeah. went on there, but like sometimes you're not going to have the full clinical research because we said like no one's going to run that study of like no, you yeah. know, repeat yeah, effort yeah. sprints on the volunteers. <laughs> on the third <laughs> yeah, trimester. Exactly. Yeah, this and that. Um, but I think the other thing like we've, we've said to clients is like you've got to be also conscious of what your goal is at any point in time and like what benefit do you get out of doing high intensity training when you're 30 weeks pregnant like probably not a great deal yeah. like it's yeah. not probably not the time to focus on improving your vo2 max no. probably like you know there's other things you want to focus on um so i think yeah you, you're right that sometimes we need to have a little bit of i guess i don't want to say common sense that's not the right word but like anecdotal experience can come to it combined Definitely. with yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really like that, the risk versus benefit of exercise. And um, yes. yeah, that's something that I talk about with my patients as well, but it's fantastic to hear that you guys are doing it because you're right. Like what's the benefit of running at 30 or 35 weeks pregnant? Like what are you going to gain from it? Like surely we can find another form of exercise that's going to get you the same like endorphin release. It's yeah, going to be good for your mental health, things yeah. like that. So yeah, I really like that. You're listening to the Performance Hub Podcast. No BS, no hidden agendas. Oh, yes, that, that was great. Really good advice. I think listeners will get a heap out of that. So now I guess we go and look at the postpartum return to exercise and what are they going to be the, the biggest considerations for you? Um, I guess you touched on, I guess, that pregnancy period and how it sort of leads on to post outcomes. So is there any considerations that um, you would normally talk clients through? Yeah, absolutely. So again, this is like an area we don't have a lot of research. We need so much more research on return to exercise in the postnatal population. I think that there's a massive misconception about doing nothing for the first six weeks and then you get your clearance and it's like, yep, I'm good to go and return to exercise the next day. It's like something has changed in that 24 hours. Yeah. And it's like any rehab, isn't it? It's like, yeah, just yeah, let you it can't heal. go from zero to 100. Yeah. Well, it's probably one of those things like, if we talk about like it's a fairly niche area yes. um, of physiotherapy so it's a new area not just physiotherapy but just health in general. in general yeah and it's like if you think about where physiotherapy was 20 years ago it literally was like oh you know you've had an acr reconstruction and you're like standing on a wobble board and then one day you come in and they tick a few boxes and it's like okay go run you can train again yeah and it's like maybe we just need to catch up like maybe yeah. in 20 years yeah. time there will be some better research yeah we're yeah. just behind Absolutely. the a little bit yeah, 
Definitely. And that's like a great example to refer it back to. Like if you did your ACL and had surgery on that, or, you know, if you tore your hamstring, like you have to do a rehab like program to make sure you can just do your normal daily activities without pain and things. So, you know, when we talk about a hamstring injury, you're, you know, icing it, you might be resting it. You could be on crutches to offload it for a little bit, depending on how severe it is. When you have a baby, you're stretching the muscle well beyond like what any other muscle in the body stretches with a vaginal delivery and then you expect things to just kind of I don't know recoil and it be fine with no dysfunction and I think that that that's not how it works and muscles don't you know they are going to gradually improve over time but things aren't going to magically fix themselves and when we talk about pelvic health and pelvic floor dysfunction if things are getting better it usually means that something else is getting worse to mask it so things just don't get better on their own you do have a massive recoil effect from your estrogen going from very high to very low um, after birth mm-hmm. which helps kind of retighten everything again Um, but there's still going to be some degree of dysfunction that needs to be retrained. And when we talk about the pelvic floor specifically, if you have vaginal delivery, you could actually have muscle injury from perineal tears or episiotomies. You may have had an instrumental delivery that could have caused other types of injuries to the pelvic floor. You may have prolapse there. You may have bladder issues. There's a whole heap of pelvic floor dysfunction that can occur in that immediate postpartum phase that needs to be addressed before you can think about getting back into exercise. Um, In saying that though, there is a lot of exercise that women can do in the first six weeks. It's just not something that's often prescribed because women probably aren't presenting to health professionals early enough to then get advice and exercise guidance from a very early phase. Like to be able to sit on the toilet, sit down at the dinner table, you're sitting down to feed your bubs. Like you need to be able to stand back up. That's like a modified squat, right? Like you're bending down, you're doing washing, you're doing all of these things at home that require strength um, requires stability, balance, all of these things that we should be starting to retrain because the pregnancy um, changes all of those things because your posture changes. So you do need to retrain those things very early. So I'm very big at trying to get women doing some kind of exercise um, straight away if they do want to have those goals of returning mm-hmm. to exercise at six to 12 weeks. Um, and then when you get to about six weeks, you, it does open up a lot more doors in terms of what exercise you can do. So you can start um, doing a lot more Pilates-based exercise. You might be able to go to um, some more classes that aren't necessarily individualized. Um, things that you need to consider after the six weeks are, yeah, what your pelvic floor function is. Have you had clearance from um, a physio? So I recommend that everyone sees a physio because they'll look at your actual muscle function. They'll do a prolapse assessment and make sure that we're ticking all the boxes to clear you to return to exercise gps and obstetricians are more looking at have things healed is there anything we need to be worried about from like a medical point of view they're not looking at anything else function wise um so once you have that clearance yeah you can return to a lot more just general exercise like if you hurt your hamstring it needs to be a graded um approach and you know graded like exposure to intensity and duration of things um so you just need to go back to exercise like you've had a really bad injury and just gradually expose yourself back into the program you were doing prior to um, the birth or prior to the pregnancy. Um, Things like running, skipping, jumping, we usually say 12 weeks at the earliest, just because of the hormonal changes we want to give the low estrogen um, hormonal levels a chance to really recoil everything to get rid of any kind of laxity that was there. And it's also then giving you 12 weeks to work on your pelvic floor muscle function to then be able to hopefully return safely to things like running. Um, but if you do return to running, it also needs to be like, you've just had an injury. You need to gradually get yourself back into it. Um, so they're the main things to consider. And the abdominal separation is something else that needs to be assessed and looked at as well. Yeah. I think that's great. I think, you know, we talk about, you know, the rehab process and using the analogy there because it essentially, you know, we are rehabbing something. So the whole criteria driven approach opposed to just simply the passing of time. Yes, time's going to guide us and we have time frames in mind, but it's like we're going to tick these boxes to make sure that, yeah, we're improving the everyday function first and, and managing pain to then be able to get them back to what they ultimately want to do. So I think that's great. I think, do you find that a lot of people are going to be cautious in terms of that, in terms of the timeline? that they understand that they they need to meet certain criteria. 
Yeah, I think that there's no, it's not spoken about well enough because the mm. obstetricians and the GPs who people are seeing for routine six weeks check every time they have a baby will just say, yep, you're safe to return to exercise with no, no explanation about what exercise you can return to. So it's not out there enough, I don't think. And not a lot of people know public health physios exist and that you can go and just present for one session to make mm. sure that, you know, you know how to use your pelvic floor and just start a rehab. Like people, I think, um, I don't know if it's just general physio that gives people the idea, oh, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm going to have to go a lot of times. And that sometimes turns people off as well. But it's usually like when we're looking at postnatal programs, we're like seeing you one time and you only come back if you have issues. A lot of the time it's just screening, giving you a program to start rehabbing and be like, yep, go back to your trainers, go back to your gym, whatever you want to do and work with your trainers to then get you back to where you want to be. Um, in terms of the C-sections, there's a big misconception as well about not exercising for six weeks. And yes, it's major abdominal surgery, but you're also lifting a newborn and doing all those day-to-day things that require mm. muscle function, that require strength. You need to get your balance back, all those things. So I think that um, if people want to present to us, you know, one or two weeks postpartum to get back into some general exercise, then they should be because we can give them programs to do um, like yourselves. They can be coming back into the gym with some modifications or they can be doing a home exercise program to start restoring that everyday function. But it just isn't spoken about enough. And whether we don't have the research and that people are too scared to maybe dive into it and get women exercising earlier on, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. and I think there needs to be, like, I think you just touched like that integrated approach as well to give that individual the best training intervention and best return to, you know, life and, and everyday activities as possible because yeah. it just means that, you know, everyone's doing the same message but also, you know, it's going to reassure them that they're getting the best treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And you always have those patients that do want to get back into things really quickly. And if you don't give them something safe, they're going to probably go and do the wrong thing anyway. So you guys would have people coming into your gym that really love exercise. They want to get back into it straight away. And if we just say, Hey, you can't come back until like six weeks, postnatal, they're going to, they're going to go and do something else. That's probably bad for them outside of the gym or outside of your programs that you're giving. So it's, it's always better to make sure that risk versus benefit that we talked about before what can we do what does the person want to get back to and how are we going to kind of achieve their goals in a safe way but still making sure that they're getting um they're ticking all the boxes themselves about what they want to get out of exercise yeah i think it's probably like an awareness thing as well just making people aware of these things because yeah even like i know a lot of these things so when we had our daughter and my wife is a nurse as well so she knows Mm -hmm. A lot of these things but even then like i don't think she was given a lot of information aside from you know wait for six weeks yeah and then obviously there was the pelvic floor exercises that she did um but it was very much a, like don't do much for six weeks and i know that for the first two weeks afterwards she felt like she'd been hit by a truck anyway so she wasn't going to do anything mm-hmm. but i think there definitely would be a danger after that two-week period which mm-hmm. i was like oh you know i could I feel like yeah. I'm, I'm better, I could go and do X, Y, and Z. And yeah. I think potentially the other thing that needs to be considered is there's probably going to be a very big difference between someone who's like, I don't know, early 20s and has a relatively complication-free birth and someone who's, say, mid-30s and has a birth. Like there's going to be all these different um, considerations, which is why having Definitely. somebody check out these things because I don't, I personally don't know, but do you see that there's like, an increased risk of things like incontinence with people above the age of 30 or is there like an age factor as well? There definitely is like an age factor in terms of how people respond in that postnatal period um, and probably throughout the exercise. Generally speaking, people that are younger do respond a lot better or their bodies respond a lot better to the pregnancy as a whole and then their postnatal journey. So they do tend to have less complications in terms of pelvic floor. That's not saying that they won't have any kind of pelvic floor dysfunction, mm-hmm. um, but we do see it. Your I suppose your risk probably just goes up as you get older in terms of having um, more complications with pelvic floor dysfunction 
and other pregnancy related things as well. Um, so yeah, it definitely can be a big factor. And I think that the, the hardest thing is probably that young people tend to have more of a mentality though, that their body's going to respond really quickly. They won't do anything about it. They'll just return to, you know, everyday exercise um, earlier than they probably should. They almost feel too good. And that's a bit dangerous because they could have pelvic floor dysfunction that's asymptomatic, meaning they don't have any symptoms. Um, so whenever someone responds really well after, and they're usually the ones that have had the vaginal deliveries, no tests, they don't have a lot as much soreness. They respond really well and just get back into things way too soon where sometimes I tell my patients that it's actually a little bit of a blessing when you have symptoms or you feel really bad after the birth and you don't have the perfect recovery because it forces you to spend the time to do the rehab properly and you often then seek help from a physio to identify if there is any other risk factors there so sometimes it is a bit of a blessing mm. because it makes you do your rehab postnatally really well where people that feel amazing afterwards present later in life with, with issues um, because they yeah. didn't have symptoms in the postnatal period but they've probably always had this issue it's just been something that they haven't been aware of perfect fantastic I think that's great. So we're going to our last one here. So in terms we spoke about pelvic floor and, and pain, what are some tips that you give people to, to best manage that? Yeah. So in terms of um, pelvic floor related pain, very, very common. And um, it does require individual assessment as to what's yeah. causing the pain. Um, do you want to talk about pregnancy specifically or what kind of stage of life do you want to talk about pelvic pain? I guess, yeah, we'll stick with the pregnancy, like during pregnancy, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in terms of um, pelvic floor pain during a pregnancy, it sometimes can be from an overactive pelvic floor that's starting to work too hard. Um, so very common for first time mums to have this because growing up, everyone tends to just hold a lot of tension through their pelvic floor. So we see an overactive pelvic floor, which is just like a high tone pelvic floor that's just working way too hard when it shouldn't be. Um, so in pregnancy, that can start to develop symptoms, which is where the pain can come out. People that develop stress, um, urinary incontinence, so leakage with coughing, sneezing in pregnancy as well, often have this overactive pelvic floor um, that's not relaxing properly. So just learning how to contract your pelvic floor, but more importantly, learning how to relax it. So just normal mm. muscle function is really important. Um, and then that will help with labor as well if they learn how to use their pelvic floor. In terms of just pelvic pain in general, things that will aggravate the pelvis with the laxity um, that occurs throughout pregnancy is anything where one leg's doing something different to the other. So when you're getting dressed in the morning, like uh, pants, undies, socks, shoes, all of those things, you typically do it in a standing position. In pregnancy, they're better to be sitting down and doing it um, because in the gym, when we're doing single leg exercises, we're working on our technique. We're making sure that, you know, our biomechanics are right. When you're at home, you're kind of just throwing your shoes on and your technique is not even on your radar. So making sure that you sit down is really good to prevent that kind of pain occurring, but also manage it. Um, same if you're drying your feet and legs after the shower, make sure you sit down to do that. Um, other things are like getting in and out of the car. If you zip your legs together and kind of swivel, like you've got a little skirt on, that's a lot better as well, just to stop one leg doing something different to the other. Um, sleeping in bed, having a pillow between your knees and your feet so that your top leg is in line with your hip um, will help reduce any kind of pelvic rotation. And then I think the biggest thing is that if anything is causing pain day to day, then you avoid it. So if you're a walker and walking is your exercise, but you're developing pelvis pain and you're continuing to walk, walking is not the exercise for you it might be something that when you settle it down you can get back to but you most likely need to do some kind of strengthening or another form of exercise to stop the um stop that pain just constantly flaring up because what happens in the pubic bone at the front and where the lower back and pelvis attach is that you just get a lot of movement through those joints because of the laxity which causes like an acute inflammation response so anything that's flaring that inflammation up is then going to make you really sore later in the day and overnight um, so in saying that icing is also great for those joints as well so heat is good for muscles ice good for the joints in pregnancy to settle inflammation pain and then when you're feeling good just don't overdo overdo things so just like rest yeah, yeah. do things in small um kind of portions so that you don't flare anything up yeah that's fantastic that's really good i think the listeners have definitely taken a lot of that yeah definitely i think um if we give the listeners some uh, a bit of a pep talk here um, yeah. <laughs> from, from all of us um so I did a bit of reading the other day, actually, but it was about kind of the success rates of different treatments with pelvic floor, basically with pregnancy complications in general. 
Um, but what kind of success rates do you see with people present to you with any one of these issues like post-pregnancy or even pre-pregnancy mm-hmm. with like exercise interventions or what you're prescribing, what kind of success rates do you see from that? Yeah, uh, it depends on what they're presenting with. So when we um, pre- when people present to pelvic floor physios, I think it's really important that we're very upfront with what our what our goals are. Say with something like bladder leakage, um, so stress urinary incontinence. If we can prevent it in pregnancy, we're most likely going to prevent it postnatally as well. But saying that, like we think two and three women postnatal are going to have some kind of bladder leakage. Depending on the cause of the bladder leakage, we can't actually cure everyone. So if the idea is that you don't want any kind of leakage. So if you have this kind of leakage and you don't want one drop of leakage with any activity that you're doing day to day, then we can only help 50% of those women. So it's important, I think, that when we're seeing these patients to be super upfront, because if our expectations are wrong from the beginning, then someone could go through months and months of pelvic floor rehab and still have the same issue at the end. in saying that for something like stress incontinence, 80% of women will significantly improve. So you're most likely, if you have stress incontinence, to significantly improve. There's only a small percentage that don't. But when we talk about cure, only one in two do. So when we um, do these assessments, we need to try and figure out very early on the exact cause of their leakage. And is it muscular or is it something anatomical that a prolapse or more mobility from the connective tissue is causing? Because we can't can't fix that. We might be able to help it, but we can't always fix things. So um, when we talk about bladder leakage, that's a big one. Um, In terms of prolapse, physio, there's a very good success rate in terms of significantly reducing prolapse symptoms. We may not ever change the severity of the prolapse though. So when we talk about prolapses, severity of the prolapse and symptoms don't align or correlate at all. Someone could have very mild prolapse and have the worst symptoms. Someone could have a more moderate prolapse and have no symptoms at all. So you can't correlate those. So physio management is all about um, getting rid of symptoms, which you have very good success rates for that. But if it's like a vaginal bulge creating most of your bothersome, like in terms of symptoms, then we can't change the bulge because we're not going to all of a sudden magically be able to get that sitting a lot higher with pelvic floor exercises. So symptoms we can change, um, but we can't change the severity. So if the bulge is your number one symptom, then you, we may not be able to help you. But it's always worth trying um, pelvic floor physio for three months. Um, like any strength program, if you do a three-month strength program, you should, and you're graduating progressing it throughout the three months should be able to get to your end of the 12 weeks and be like have we seen the improvements we want to see and you know have we been tracking that and then reassess where things are at are we getting towards our goals are we not and make a decision if you need to be referred to someone else for more medical-based intervention um So it really depends on what we're talking about. In terms of like pelvic girdle pain, um, which is more of a women's health thing in pregnancy, uh, the prognosis is actually that it gets worse as the pregnancy goes on. So management is all about trying to catch it early and your health professional is managing it well if it doesn't get worse. So you may not actually improve your symptoms, but if you stop them from getting worse, you're actually doing a really good job. If we can improve or eliminate the symptoms altogether, that's like an amazing results um so the sooner you get onto those things definitely the better um and i think that if we're i try and identify as much as we can in pregnancy to then um, improve birth outcomes and prevent a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction occurring in that postnatal phase then we hopefully won't need to be treating as many things postnatally and we'll have better outcomes with intervention then yeah yes and um I guess a follow on from that, like, do you find, like, I know we've all said, like, sometimes the clinical research is hard to, to quantify um, and put into direct recommendations, but do you find that people that have been active throughout pregnancy who then present to you after versus people who have been really sedentary throughout pregnancy, do you find there's a difference in, like, I guess the amount of people that you see or the severity of the symptoms then? Um, hit and miss completely depends on what's happened in the birth a lot of the time as well. Um, so it's a little bit unpredictable, the birth and 
lots of things can change very quickly. Um, definitely people that are more active in pregnancy, like we said before, they respond much better because they have a better baseline strength in general. Um, and with the pelvic floor, if you're doing other types of exercise, you're going to be working your pelvic floor. You're going to be working your deep abdominals. You know, you're going to be recruiting your six pack muscles with certain exercises to start improving your abdominal separation and pelvic floor function. So people that are more active through the pregnancy do put themselves in a better position for the post natal period because they then might have only not been exercising for a couple of weeks people that aren't exercising in pregnancy they lose so much strength they develop this really poor posture in pregnancy um, because of the biomechanical changes that are happening and they just don't have as good of a baseline straight after so it's much harder to get back into things because they end up not exercising for almost a year which is a really long time so if you can be as active as possible throughout your pregnancy, you're going to set yourself up for a much better um, postpartum recovery as well. In terms of the research, we don't have a lot there. Um, in the women's health world, we're very lucky. I don't know if you guys would be able to attend these research updates. You might be able to, but we have um, a lady based in Sydney who's a pelvic floor physio who's dived into um, a lot of research and she provides research updates every year where she actually analyzes all the research for us and then presents the research to us within the clinical recommendations which is amazing because i'm sure yeah. guys like me we're so busy we don't have time to be sifting through articles and trying to put together things and um, work out is that article something that we can translate to clinical or is it you know is it poor quality that you just need to ignore um, yes. and that's the hardest thing with women's health is a lot of the studies aren't great quality they're very small case numbers and you might read an article that says one thing but then translating that to clinical practice you can't always do that so it's good to have the knowledge about you know these articles and this research is out there but you can't always directly then be like i'm going to start doing this in the clinic because you could be doing the wrong thing it could be an article in two years time that's like completely contraindicating it yeah yeah it's always evolving isn't it yeah yep so it's really hard but i think exercise if you can reduce your birth outcomes prevent gestational diabetes prevent pelvic girdle pain you know that's more than enough research to be like let's exercise the entire way through pregnancy and then set yourself up for a better postnatal recovery um every woman should be doing this yeah yeah fantastic well before we wrap things up um we're just gonna ask obviously for you at the moment what's uh, what's the plans going forward i know you've got you've got an ebook as yes. well yes yes so we'll, we'll direct our members and our listeners to that as well for the show notes yes yeah thank you so yeah i have an ebook which i released this year which was all about trying to get women back into exercise safely yeah. so something that they can start whenever they feel ready but you can start it as early as one week postpartum um so whether you choose to do an ebook or you choose to go back to the gym or you choose to do something elsewhere you're working face to face or watching videos i think whatever kind of exercise is suiting the person though that's the most important thing so if you guys have patients or clients that want to come back to the gym at one week post i'm happy to give you some resources and things that they can work on early on because an ebook's not for everyone so i understand that but um yeah so the ebook was a massive part of this year and that's been really fun so that's called fit beyond pregnancy i also work privately for myself which is um, about two and a half days at the moment and work publicly at eastern health so i'm not planning to change um, my clinical caseload at this point but we are starting a podcast called listen up ladies which i'm doing with another friend that i met at uni who's also a well women's health public floor physio um, so that'll be launching early really next exciting. year yeah. and i think in the future like getting more into the educational side of things and i would love to get into schools and actually target like teenagers um, in terms of public health and public floor conditions very early on so then they have this knowledge um, throughout their adulthood lives about what's normal, what's not normal. So I think that the podcast will hopefully open up some opportunities Definitely. to maybe decrease our clinical caseloads over the next couple of years. Um, but otherwise, that's kind of my work plans. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for, for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Um, and I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So it's been a really good episode. Perfect. Thank you so Perfect. much for having me. I hope everyone enjoys it. Thank you for tuning in to the Performance Hub podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to see more hub-related material, check us out and follow us on Facebook. 
The Performance Hub, Instagram, Performance Hub underscore Melbourne. Until next time, keep pushing the limits of human performance.